Today's guest frequently says that everyone needs an HR professional or career consultant as a friend. So in case you don't have one, I'm lending you mine. It's time to talk about investing in your career. You're listening to the Chic Hippie Podcast. Friends call me the Chic City Girl with the Hippie Heart. Welcome to your ultimate guide to millennial adulting. Hi, I'm your host, CH. I'm joined by thought leaders, cultural innovators, and friends as they share their insights on journeying through work, life, and play the bohemian way. This is the Chic Hippie Podcast. Welcome to the Chic Hippie Podcast. I'm your host, CH, the Chic City Girl with the Hippie Heart. Now, today I'm so excited because we're going to take a deeper dive or a deeper look into the topic of investing in yourself from a career perspective. And I'm so grateful to be joined today by Patina Marshall. She's a certified career consultant, and she's been an HR professional for 11 years. And most importantly, she's joining us today because she was my career consultant at a time when I decided that I wanted to make a career transition and I needed just to hone my skills and doing a little investing in myself. So with that being said, hello and welcome to the She Kibbe podcast, Atina. Thank you for inviting me, CH. So I want to start the conversation off because when you look at this idea of investing in oneself and you think about when is the appropriate time to hire a career consultant or a career coach, and I thought you would be the best person to ask, really, what is the difference between a career consultant, career coach, and career counselor, and when do you know it's the right time to make that kind of investment? Okay, well, let me take this apart piece by piece. A career counselor is actually someone who typically has some type of psychology degree and is licensed. You'll often find that they are licensed counselors of some sort. So I am not a career counselor because I do not, I'm not licensed. A career coach and career consultant, probably similar. It depends on how one looks at themselves. I consider myself probably a little bit of both because in terms of coaching, I, I'm a certified job search strategist, which means that I can pretty much help someone search for a job. And you can get certified to be a career coach. However, you can be a career coach without being certified in it. And in terms of career consultant, that's, Typically, I mean, I can be that too. However, with the cons- with the consultant, I feel like they're a little bit more hands-on as opposed to a coach. You know, a coach isn't as hands-on as a consultant is. They're giving you homework assignments that you are to complete. However, as a consultant, I may be doing some of that legwork for you and bringing it to you. So it's the same difference as, you know, like a consultant for any business, you know, they may be doing some work as well as you're doing some work. But with a career coach, primarily you're doing all of the work. They're just primarily there to cheer you on. Those are the differences between between the three. In terms of when you need a career professional of some sort, that's an individual decision. You could do it say it's straight out of college, you know, you are graduating and as a gift, a parent or a family member wants to set a young person up with a career coach or a career consultant. I think that that's honestly probably one of the best times to do it. However, you know, we all can come at a crossroads. Like if you figure out after 10 or 15 years that what you're doing isn't making you happy. That's another time that you may 
seek out some type of career professional, a coach, or maybe even a counselor or a consultant at that time. So there's never really a a particular time. It's just whenever you feel like you need to maybe get unstuck or you want some help into getting to the next level. You know, some people hire career coaches or consultants to get them to the next phase of their career. So they, they're doing exactly what they want to do, but maybe they want to go from, you know, manager level to leadership level and they hire someone who will help them and guide them to that next level, you know, or they want to start a business. So it's many reasons why someone would get one. You just have to recognize it in yourself that that's what you want. And then you go out and you do it. Okay. So one thing that struck me that was kind of interesting, you said that it seems like from a consulting or coach perspective, primarily, you need to be prepared also to do some work. Yes. (laughs) Yes. You have to be prepared to do work because your next level, wherever you're trying to reach, it will not happen without you doing that actual work. And typically the coach and the consultant, they're there holding you accountable. So those are the people who are, you know, they're, they're your trusted individual. They're giving you all assignments that are meant to help you get to the next level. And they're there to hold you accountable for doing the assignment, for finding out, it's a journey, right? So you find out more about yourself, you find out more about what you want, but more importantly, you find out more about what you do not want. You know, sometimes we're all so gung-ho on, you know, what it is that we want, that we never really think about what we don't want, but that's just as important as what you do want. So that's what they are primarily there for, to really, really get you to the next step. And you can't do that without the work. Now, when someone, for instance, like when I contacted you about doing some career consulting, kind of take us through that process. Are there any like books or resources you recommend that the person start with? Or how do you go up? along that process, what should it look like for someone? So for me, I would encourage anyone, if you are thinking about investing in yourself in terms of getting a career coach or career consultant, you need to make sure you do your due diligence in terms of that person as well, you know, because they're not exactly cheap. So it is a very good investment if you have someone who is really going to be willing to run the course with you. But for me, everyone is individual. So I don't have a template for what I may give or tell any particular client because I really look at everybody as an individual and I understand that everyone needs, you know, different things. I do have resources that I recycle and I use depending on what someone may need. And I also do research to keep getting resources that people may need. But one of my favorite books that I think any professional, any career professional should utilize is, it's a book called Strength Finders and it's by Tom Rath. And what it is, it, it takes you through a series of tests or uh, now it's really one test, but it's a series of questions. And basically some kind of way it figures out like your top strengths. And the reason why that's so important is because what I've noticed in the workplace now, the biggest trend is that people want to play to people's strengths. And that's also how they divide up teams and create their teams and that's how they create diversity on their teams because they're not putting all of the same people in a team or on a team because it doesn't make sense right if you want to be productive you have to have a variety and a diverse group of people that serve on a team to get you some of the best results that that you want so knowing someone who 
one of the strengths is, you know, strategic and another strength is someone who is, oh, I forgot what it's called, but essentially someone who's really personable and can get along well with people. Well, your strategic person, you need someone who has strategy, but you also need someone who can, you know, play the people. So when you're developing a team, you might want to put those two people together because oftentimes you're not going to get the same the same big strength out of one person. So that is one of the books that I would honestly tell anyone to read. And then another book that I also like, and I actually read it for the first time when I was graduating undergrad, was What Color Is Your Parachute? And that book is by Richard Boyle. I could be pronouncing his last name wrong. So his last name is spelled B-O-L-L-E-S. And he he's geared towards if you're just coming out of college, maybe you're mid-career, perhaps you're thinking of transitioning to a whole nother field. But it's a really great book and it takes you through just like, where do you want to end up? What do you want to do? You know, but it does such a great job. And like I said, I remember it from when I graduated college and I remember being really impressed by it that when I started career coaching, one of the first things I did was go out and get that book again because they actually published this book every single year. And it it was just phenomenal. And he actually even makes one, I think it's one for teens. So, you know, it's just something to get you started to think about what do you want to do? And I think the world has changed so much from like when I graduated that this book is probably even more helpful to people because now you can design what you want to do. You can, you know, no one's really doing the run of the mill. Oh, I'm just going to go and work in an office and do X, Y, Z. You know, you don't have to anymore with all the different mediums that you have out and everything that's going on, the social media and everything like that. You can just build your own career. And I would probably say that that book would be extra helpful for someone to coming straight out of college and or a career, you know, like mid-career transitioning into maybe a whole nother field. So those are my top two picks. That was a long-winded answer to those two books, but (laughs) (laughs) I wanted to at least be able to explain some of the bases behind them and why I think that they're really good books. No, that's extremely helpful. I think it would be a good place for at least our listeners to start and kind of think about strengths. So you kind of talked about this a little bit, but maybe if you want to expand on it, why do you think that the job market in general is transitioning away from focusing on weaknesses more to strengths? So one of my questions that I've always hated in an interview is, so what's your biggest weakness? I mean, that's such a stupid question when you really think about it, right? So if I tell you I'm weak in something, but that's something that you require or you need, then nine times out of 10, I'm not going to be considered for the job. So why are you asking people such a stupid question when the reality is, is that you should be focused on their strengths because that's what they will bring to the table. If it's a weakness, then I'm not going to try to do that anyway. So if my weakness is math, I'm clearly going to overlook every math-related project that comes up or anything where I have to use math. I'm going to just like eh, sit off to the corner. But if you bring me something that's like all about marketing or creativity and that's one of my strong suits that I'm going to just excel at it. And that's what you should want. You should want your people to excel at what they are just naturally good at or what has been developed for them to be, you know, really good. So I think that finally (laughs) the people, um, meaning the powers that be found out that it was in their best interest to make people happy at work and to play to their strengths as opposed to trying to strengthen their weaknesses. 
you know, some people just naturally good at certain things. And regardless of how much time and how much training and how much development you try to put into someone for certain things, they just may not ever excel at it. They may get okay, but they'll never be maybe as good as you want them to be or you need them to be. So I think now that people are kind of moving out of the silo effect of working, they realize that, oh, well, if I have this person who's strong in this, this person who's strong in this, and this person who's strong in this, I have a team. And together they will, you know, work and they will excel and that will make me excel. And typically the bottom line is money. So I think they finally figured it out. So now it's all about playing to people's strengths. And then also, you know, what comes about playing to people's strengths is that then they're doing work that they enjoy. And if people are doing work that they enjoy, they'll be happier. And, you know, that could be retention, possibly. That could be really putting yourself on the map in whatever area you're working in. There's just so much good that can come out of playing to someone's strength as opposed to trying to focus on making them strong in an area that they are weak. And that doesn't mean that you can't or you shouldn't. It's just that it's smarter to play to their strength as opposed to trying to make them strong in an area where they are weak. Because it might not even be needed. (laughs) That's true. And I do think that's kind of a valid point. Also, when you think about your career, where you might want to change versus transition, or maybe it's just, as you mentioned it before, sometimes it's just an advancement on what you're currently doing in your career versus a complete change in a transition. So if people are really thinking about what they love to do, they might find out there are more things that they actually like about their current position than they don't. Exactly. So it kind of goes back to HR for me. So I was an advertising major and for years I was so distraught about how I'm paying all this money (laughs) for this education, for this degree that I do not use. However, I have this obsession with, I have two obsessions. One is a more recent obsession, but my original obsession was resumes. I just love looking at people's resumes. I didn't understand it back then, but it was always just so exciting to me to look at, you know, how they transitioned from one job to another job, what duties they did, the actual look of their resume, like, oh, that's boring. Oh, this is a really nice resume. You know, let me see if I can recreate that. So, and that was kind of like that create creative side, I guess, that made me fall in love with resumes. And then I started doing like more HR work and getting more involved on the actual employee relations side and learning about benefits and everything like that. And then it wasn't until I started thinking, hey, why don't I try making this resume thing a business? Or because that's what makes me happy. Like I light up when someone's like, can you do my resume? Sure, send it to me. And when I started getting out into that community, I realized that what we all had in common was that we were all like these marketing communication professionals prior to deciding that resumes or helping people search for jobs was something that we wanted to do. And so then that's when it hit me that, oh, I had a very narrow perception of what my advertising career should look like. And to me, what it was supposed to look like was, oh, I was supposed to work at Leo Burnett or I was supposed to work for Coca-Cola in like their marketing department or something. But our resume is our brand. Every individual, every person, be it a high school student, a recent college grad, or someone who is near retirement, 
individually, you are a brand. And I realized that the brand that spoke to me more wasn't Coca-Cola or Nordstrom or Chevy. It was an individual. I wanted to see individuals go out and get jobs and put into play their career path, you know? Like, it's exciting to see someone who started off as a receptionist and maybe it took 20 years or however long it took, but maybe now that person is running the company because they continue to grow and they continue to develop. And now they have all of the skills that's needed to run the organization, you know, or if it's not the organization that they started at, maybe it's some other organization, but to be able to look at someone's career path and see their growth and their potential be utilized is what was fulfilling for me. You know, I feel like as people, we spend a lot of time at work and a big part of who you are is your career. You know, the first thing someone asks you when you're out, oh, what do you do? And you want, you should want to be proud of whatever it is. I really don't care what your career is, be it fast food or be it Fortune 500 company. You should just be proud of it. But more than just be proud of it, you should aspire to be more within it, you know. So just because you are the person maybe taking the names of someone coming in doesn't mean that you shouldn't aspire to be more within that organization or some other organization. You take those skills and you build off of them and you move on to another position and then you get more skills and you build off that and then you move on to another position. You know, as a career coach, that's what you want from your clients. That's what you're there for to make sure they they never stay stagnant and they never get comfortable until they've achieved exactly what it is that they wanted to achieve. Once you get to where you want to be, then I've done my job and I'm happy. Well, that brings me to another point because I know that you're a big proponent of personal development. I'm going to first have you explain what personal development is, but also I'm going to ask you just to explain more about what people should consider within organizations with regards to personal development and opportunities for growth. Because in the last example you provided, that person was able to grow within that organization and aspire to do more. So what should people look for to ensure that they would be able to do that? at any given organization? Okay. So that's a big question. So first, personal and or professional development is essentially, you know, just furthering. It doesn't necessarily have to be your education. So it's not necessarily geared towards a degree of any sort. It could just be, for instance, in a lot of my jobs, I've sometimes hit a financial aspect to some of my jobs because I've worked for smaller organizations or I've worked in a smaller department where I was kind of like, I hit this hybrid position where it was human resources on one hand, but financial on another hand. So sometimes my personal professional development would be geared towards maybe learning new tools for the financial side Staying updated on key human resource issues or laws or things of those sorts, you know. So that could be a multitude of things. That could be just going to conferences. It could be taking maybe a deeper dive into a certain class. Maybe it's learning a new software. Maybe it's learning whatever the new trend is for something, you know. So, like when social media first became a big thing, you know, I'm sure most marketers were, or communications people probably had to go out and try to find a tool so that they would be able to use social media, you know? So that would have been personal professional development for them. And the reason why that is important is because it keeps you on top of your game, plain and simple. It makes you marketable and it makes you attractive 
to not just your organization, but to other organizations. And that is honestly the reason why everyone should want personal and professional development. I personally frown against companies who do not believe in developing their talent because I feel like, number one, that means that you don't really believe in them. But it also means that as an organization, you don't want to succeed. Me being on top of my best game is only good for the organization. It's good for me too, but it's better for you because the better that I am is the better the organization will be. So, you know, I tell people all the time, when you are interviewing, you interview them too. And one of the questions that you should ask is, you know, how do they feel or what do they do um, in terms of professional development? Because the problem is, is that unless you're learning a lot of different things or a lot of new things when you're in a job, how does that make you attractive when you're ready to leave? How does that make you attractive when you're ready to go into the next phase of your career? It doesn't. And then it makes it hard. So then you make a lot of lateral moves, but you're not moving up. And, you know, our main goal in terms of career should be to move up. And you can only really do that with professional and personal development. And that's, it's important. And I think, I think a lot of organizations are starting to see that. I mean, I don't even care if it's in-house training, you know, like you don't have to send me out to a conference, but what I need you to do is develop me and make sure I am the best version of my work self that I can be because one I might think twice about leaving you if I know that you have been developing me. As I tell people all the time, I'm like, you know, organizations who say, hey, we'll pay for this, but you have to stay with us for at least two years after we pay for it. I don't see a problem with that because what they want to do is they want to get a return on their investment. They invested in you and they feel like, the adequate amount of time for them to get their return on that investment is two years. Also, the hope is that, you know, within that two years, maybe something would have changed or something would click for you. And instead of you wanting to leave them, you can also find the value in them and you will stay. So, you know, I think that's a fair compromise. You know, two years of your life with a company that just might have paid for a certification or something that's going to make you, you know, attractive or marketable to someplace else really isn't terrible. It seems pretty fair. I just don't like it if they're just not offering anything at all. So I feel like that's a good compromise. But I think that's a good point, too, because if they're not offering anything at all, then you know that they're not invested in you long term. Mm -hmm. So it's not an organization where you're going to be able to grow. That is true. That is very true. And that is what people have to recognize, you know. And I would also say that if you see that, I get that this is the real world. And sometimes we have to take jobs because we need money and we need to survive. But I would say Make it your mission not to get sucked in there because, you know, it's nothing worse than landing someplace and then realizing that they're not offering you what you want or what you need. And next thing you know, 20 years later, you're probably literally in the same position you were in when you first started. And now you're just disgruntled and unhappy. So, you know, I would say if you see that you've got mixed up with an organization that is not the right fit for you, put a timeline on it, you know, and, and, and then work your butt off to get out because it's not going to end well and it's not going to end well for you as the individual companies, as long as all they need are people, 
They just need bodies to do whatever needs to be done. So they'll thrive because please believe the minute you're not doing the job that they want you to do, guess what they're going to do? Fire you. (laughs) You know, they're going to find someone who will. So, you know, you never want to be on that end of the stick. So I'm all about making sure you have main control over your career and you have the main control over when you start and leave an organization. That's the way it should be. But Tina, you did mention about somebody growing and transitioning with in an organization, but also because you're finding in the current job market that people tend to transition positions more frequently. From your perspective as an HR representative, what is by current day standards the appropriate amount of time to remain at an organization to allow you to build your resume? But also are organizations recognizing that people are more likely to transition and go to another organization. So you should still be looking for those development opportunities to take you to your next place of employment. So that's a tricky question. And it's tricky for a couple of reasons. I try to encourage people when they are looking for jobs to look at bigger organizations because in bigger organizations, you have a little bit more wiggle room to department jump or just kind of move around where you're still employed at the same company, but just, you know, different jobs. Those are typically sometimes looked at as promotions, depending on if you're making the right moves. The market, the job market is tough now. And, you know, like 18, 19, 20 years ago, the job market was just easier. You know, you could literally spend two years at a job, move on and find another job that was going to be, you know, like that next stepping stone up from where you were. And you could help, you could really build your career. It doesn't work quite the same now. So I caution people, you know, when you get with a smaller organization, you have to understand that your career path isn't going to look the same as somebody who's, you know, at a bigger organization. So if you want to kind of skip around, if you want to kind of move around, then you need to probably be with a larger organization. And when I say larger, I'm talking like thousands of people. Maybe you can get away with hundreds of people, but it has to be like hundreds, like we're talking two or three hundreds, because you have to be able to see that there's very distinct levels. So there's an assistant level, an associate level, a manager's level, a director's level, then the VP level, then, you know, go on and on like that hierarchy. You actually have to be able to see that hierarchy. And if you're not necessarily seeing a hierarchy in an organization, if it's just like three tiers, the head of the company, management level, and then the subordinate, you're, you probably aren't going to move up. And you're also probably not going to develop the skills that you need to develop to get another job that would move you into a higher level than where you are at that particular job, unless you're a manager. And nine times out of 10, if you are a manager, that probably means that you left someplace to become the manager there. Oftentimes, those organizations don't necessarily promote from within because you have to remember, these are probably also the organizations that aren't investing in their people and developing them. So if a manager leaves, the likelihood of someone in that department being able to step up and manage is very slim. And that's sad. And that's also bad for retention. And it's also reflects badly on the organization as a whole because you'd rather go on the outside and hire someone than to develop your people on the inside. And so that is where larger organizations, hands down, are some of the best places to work, not because they're just so good to their people, but just because 
you can, they're going to develop you. And when they develop you, they would rather you stay within their organization because they paid for you to get to where you are, as opposed to you leaving them and going someplace else. So that was a pretty loaded question, but, (laughs) but I would say that that is what you have to think about when you are looking for a job, you know, are you the type of person that's going to be okay with being in the same position for years and maybe never really getting a different title? Or, you know, are you someone who's more of a go-getter and you're going, you know, you're going to want promotions, you know, you're going to want to climb the ladder. Then I would definitely say larger organizations are probably not probably larger organizations is where you need to be. You know, I don't get me wrong. In a smaller organization, you can grow and you can get there. But you have to remember, it's going to take time. You know, I've known people who came in, started off in lower level positions and ended up, you know, running the organization. But it took 10 years to do it. And in theory, 10 years isn't really a long time. But it is. It can be, you know, because in 10 years, like you can go to a, if you start off in a larger organization, if you're making all the right moves and doing what you need to do for your career, and maybe like six or seven years, you can go to one of those small organizations that I'm talking about and run it. Whereas someone who, if they're promoted from within, it might take them 10 years, if not more, to run it because they have to... They have to hope that the people that are above them leave. And if they never leave, what does that mean for them? It means that they stay in the same spot. I do think that's a very fair point because sometimes you'll find with smaller organizations or small business, it's not necessarily that they don't want to promote and develop people. They just don't have the headcount for that. Like what it takes to make that business run and be cost effective is we have so many managers, so many junior level managers, and so many people executing. It's just the reality of how they're able to run their business. Exactly. And it's not a right or wrong. It's not even good or bad. It really is just what it is. Also, in those smaller organizations, sometimes they're just not going to have the turnover that's there to give you the opportunity to move ahead. So it's really all about a person and their personal preference and what they want to do. At that point, it becomes about, you know, a personality fit, like just where you fit and what you want to do for your, you know, for yourself, like individually. But what can offset that is making sure you keep your network fresh and you're actually entertaining your network because that helps. You know, having a active network, whether you're in a small organization or a large organization or whatever, as long as you have that going, that may help you. You know, if you're learning about different opportunities from different people or different people are able to say, hey, I found out about this job or this or that, I think that that is definitely something to think about and And actually consider and make sure you are doing on a regular basis is keeping in touch with your network, going to networking events. And I will say this, because it's not fair to put it all on companies as well. If you are working for a company that's not into professional development, then you have to invest in yourself and you have to do it for you. And I think that, you know, once you start implementing whatever you're learning in your personal or professional development into the workplace, you know, if they notice it, or even if they don't, if you're performing a duty, you're performing a duty. And that's something that can go on your resume. And that's just, you know, that's what the whole game is all about is how well will your resume look to get you the next job that you want. Well, I will just speak from my experience consulting because I actually worked on teams with 
managers at various levels within an organization. And I actually saw managers get promoted as a result of our projects because it was an opportunity for us to develop them and expand their skill set. Some of the projects that I worked on, it wasn't clear that they were really looking to promote people. But as a result of the work and seeing the growth and seeing what those people had obtained, they were ready to make that step. Because sometimes organizations may realize, hey, we have a gap here. And now that person's skill set can fill that gap. That might be a promotion for you. It could. So now you have a new position, a new skill that's on your resume, and you're advancing and continuing to grow in your career. And yes, that should be on your your top 10 priority list. So I feel like if a company's not doing it, then you should be doing it. And I've even told people before, I'm like, look, if you want to segue into something, sometimes you have to spend some money to get some money, right? And when we translate that into work, what that means is that you might have to give away some free business to get some experience. So let's say I want to go out and I want to become like, I don't know, this social media rock star. Well. If you know one or two people and maybe they have their own business or maybe they don't, or maybe they're able to get you in as a consultant or a contractor for wherever they may work, or maybe they have a friend, offer your services, you know, pro bono for a bit and see what happens. You know, one, you can still put them down as a client. It doesn't matter that they weren't a paying client. They were a pro bono client. So you're just looking for ways to, one, hone in on your skills. You're helping someone. And it may turn into a paying job or it may lead to a paying job. Even if it doesn't, what it does do is put another bullet point on your resume. You know, as long as it's something that you're able to do and you're doing it well, it will work out for you. But sometimes you have to give a little to get a little. And I think for people who are trying to transition into something else, sometimes you might have to give a little bit in order for you to get what you're trying to achieve. And I don't think that there's anything wrong with that. You know, it's just called pro bono. If you don't think of it as just doing free work and free labor and you just call it pro bono, it makes you feel a whole lot better. You know, you're like, oh, I'm just helping someone out. So I feel like sometimes you have to do that in order to, one, it might give you a sense of, do I want to do this? Because once you start doing it, it's different doing something that you think you want to do as opposed to something that you have been doing and you're like, oh yeah, I want more of this. You know, that was kind of how I was for a while when I was doing HR and financial or accounting work. And I'm like, "Ah, you know, I can do this accounting work. I mean, I did it and I did it well, but it wasn't what made me happy. I'm like, "Ah, I don't really want that. I really like this HR stuff. And then I mentioned it earlier, but I didn't tell you what my other sickness was, which is I actually enjoy looking for jobs. Like it brings me joy when someone's like, I'm looking for a job because I'm just going to go out on every job website I know. And I'm just looking to match. Like I am a professional matchmaker for people and jobs. Like it's so much fun, but that's the recruiting part of me. I love to recruit and I love to meet people and I love to see if a certain person will fit in with the organization. You know, it's, it's matchmaking at its best. So it's one of those where when you're doing something and you're like, yeah, I want to do this and I only want to do this. You know, that was also how my job, my, like me going off on my own and, trying to get a business started because I realized that the two things that I love the most, looking for a job and looking at resumes went hand in hand. 
And I wanted to be able to match people with, with their passion and with, you know, a good fit and what I would hope would be maybe a long-term home because they could grow and develop and, you know, become the rock star that they wanted to be. Okay. But that actually leads me to a good question because from an HR perspective, what would you consider to be a good candidate when you think about somebody maybe developing on their own? What are two or three key things you're definitely going to look for that's not position specific, but that would tell you that this person is motivating and someone that you would want to hire? So for me, I am looking at someone who's authentic. They have to come across as authentic. You can tell when someone's not authentic and it's, it's, <laughs> it's really hard to be in the same room with someone and you're just like, you don't have a clue, <laughs> you know? So for me, it's someone being authentic, authentic leads into honesty and for me, honesty also leads into, so this last one is a tricky one, aspirations, right? So authentic, honesty, aspiration. Sometimes I'm looking for, depending on where I'm doing the hiring for, I'm looking for aspiration on if they're going to move up within the organization or just their overall life plan. Like sometimes I work in organizations where I'm like, I don't expect someone to stay there for a really long time. So I kind of look for that because I want to know that this isn't your end all. This isn't your end game, that you actually know your worth and you know that, you know, at some point when you get the skills that you need from this particular organization, you're going to take those skills and you're going to go someplace else. And I actually rather hire that person than hire the person who has no aspiration and will be there until the bitter end. And that's partially because that person is not going to make it a pleasant environment for the people around them. You know, if someone has aspirations, their whole thought process and the way they deal with things is just going to be completely different. And they're either going to be a leader to those around them or, you know, they're going to be the most hated. It's, you know, it's only really those two. Either they're going to be very well liked and people are going to want to follow them or people aren't going to like them and they're going to try to go against any and everything that they do. And, you know, that's not a good position to be in either, but they have aspirations and they probably won't be there long anyway in that type of climate. They're not going to really thrive in, so they're going to flourish and leave, but they will be taking with them whatever experience that they needed to get them to that next level. So I look for that. Because I think that those are the most important things that honestly make up a good employee. I'm probably not like most HR people. Maybe in that respect, I'm not sure that that's what most HR people would say. But I'm also one of those HR people that I look at every single resume that comes across my desk. Period. If I get 100, I might be tired. But I look at every single one of them because that's what's important to me. And, you know, I've had people that I've hired in thank me for giving them the opportunity because nine times out of 10, so many other people looked over them. But sometimes I, I look for what's not on your resume. You know, I'm a resume writer. I know that we tailor resumes to fit the job posting that you're applying to. We're going to use the same buzzwords that you use. We want your resume to mirror what the job posting says because we're trying to get you in the door. So I look at resumes differently. I'm looking for what's not there because 
that might be the skill that gets you hired. Well, I think that this is a great place for us to wrap up this session (laughs) because no, I'm serious because you've given people a lot to think about. Part of what I want to encourage people to do through this podcast is essentially what you summed up that you're looking for authenticity and just to see that a person is passionate and motivated about what they're doing. And I, I do agree with you that at times you do need to pay the bills, but what is most important is that you're working towards something that's sustainable for you. And maybe those skill sets that you're building might lead you to a career that you didn't even imagine in the beginning but that you're actively pursuing the opportunity to learn and grow. And that's going to take you very far in your career. Well said. (laughs) Well said. It's true. I want to thank Bettina Marshall for sharing her insights on navigating career, as well as personal and professional development. As Bettina reminds us, a big part of who you are is your career. That's where you spend most of your day. And you deserve not only to be proud of your career, but you should aspire to be more within it. Making an investment in your career through utilizing resources such as books, workshops, networking, or even working with a career consultant can help you grow or transition into the career of your dreams. To learn more about Patina Marshall, you can connect with her on Twitter at WriteResume underscore Inc. And you can connect with the She Kippy podcast on Twitter at She Kippy Pod to stay updated on podcast news, guest info, and more. Thank you for listening to this episode of the She Kippy podcast. New episodes are available weekly on iTunes. So subscribe and leave a comment letting us know how you're enjoying the show. To learn more about this podcast and your host, CH, follow us on Instagram at She Kippy Podcast and online at SheKippyPodcast.com. Always as imparting, journey through work, life, and play the bohemian way.